Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello and welcome to Headliners. I'm Dominic Frisby and joining me tonight making his Headliners debut is former Perrier Award winner and co-founder of Stonewall, though since 2015 he's been very critical, Simon Fanshawe, OBE, who is on a mission to plug his new book. So this is your chance, Simon. Plug away. (laughs) Well, I wrote a book called The Power of Difference. The thing that I like about it is that it really is a a kind of staunch defence of could we please talk, could we please have opposing views, could we please not have to agree with everything about everybody. So it's a kind of, it's a book for work, but it's a book for life, I hope. Very good. Well, we, you must all buy it, dear viewers. And right, and on to our next guest, whose CV is nothing like as illustrious. Hello, Josh, how are you doing? I've got lots of Tesco club points. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> does, that, does that count in any way? I've got a 4.79 Uber rating. That's I've got so wild. many cards in my wallet now, I think it's stretching loyalty to an unconceivable point. Oh, you know, yes. I'm loyal to Costa. And, yeah, you know, sorry, I can't mention all these names. You can mention them. Yeah, you can mention, anyway. you can mention them. Yeah, men- yeah. Well, it's good to see that, that, that loyalty is to be found in this country in, in the deepest, dark, darkest nooks. Right, let's uh, um, take a look at tomorrow's front pages and we start with the Daily Mail, as is so often the case, which has um, a picture of Prince Andrew escorting the Queen along with the title Royal's Dismay at Andrew Roll in Philip's Service. And insiders tell Mail of... Strong sense of regret after shamed Duke put himself front and centre as World Watch. We'll be looking at that story in a moment. On to the Daily Telegraph, which has Russians give up on conquest of Kiev. That's uh, the peace talks. We'll be looking at those as well. A picture of the Queen. And Met hiding behind rules by not identifying Partygate offenders. This is the return of the Partygate story. We'll be looking at that. On to the Independent which has Russia pledges to reduce attacks around Kyiv, and also the Nazis killed their families. Now Odessa's Holocaust survivors fear that Putin will do the same. On to The Guardian, a law-breaking in number 10. No surprise The Guardian's focusing on that. Police issue first 20 partygate fines. There's also a picture of the Queen and Prince Andrew, at the uh, Prince Philip Memorial Service and suspicion as Russia vows to rein in its forces. Suspicion indeed. On to the FT. Russia and EU in standoff as Putin digs in on ruble payments for gas. He's not backing down on that and I'm not surprised. And there's also checks on EU imports set for fourth delay amid supply chain collapse fears. I thought the supply chains had already collapsed, but there we go. On to the mirror. We have the Queen, the pain and the stain. I presume the stain. Uh, (laughs) Queen tears for Philip as Andrew worms his way back into limelight. On to the Times. Russians promise to ease Kyiv onslaught and secrecy for number 10 staff given Covid party fines. That's uh, what everyone wants to know. Who's been given the fine? On to the Sun. Tearful monarch at Duke Memorial, the queen of broken hearts. 
And finally, we have the Daily Star. And what is the Daily Star going to go with? <laughs> Step away from the hobnobs, Roman. Uh, poisoned Chelsea boss at Ukraine peace talks, but he's warned to give food and drink a wide berth. Roman Abramovich, that known consumer of hobnobs. Um, those are the headlines. And so to our first story from pretty much every paper, a lot of people have got their knickers in a twist, perhaps that's putting it mildly, because Prince Andrew not only attended his father's memorial, he escorted the Queen up the aisle. Simon, what are your views on this one? You'd think they'd lock him away in the woodshed at the bottom of the garden, really, wouldn't you? Yes. I mean, I know he hasn't been convicted of anything, but you don't go around paying millions of quid to somebody just because, actually, you didn't do anything. The thing that I think is peculiar, though, and in a funny, contrary way, slightly admirable, is she doesn't stop defending or being with him or supporting him. So, you know that thing, it's the errant son. It's that very, and it's in a sense that you could see it in a very converse way as being actually an astonishing tribute of kind of maternal love, like defending her pup. Because he is just awful. I mean, in every sense, he's been involved, isn't he, in financial scandal after financial scandal, at least ways of getting money to pay off this debt and that debt. And yet she sticks with him. And I find that perversely admirable. And I don't know why she might do it. I once interviewed years ago, this is a long way off him, but on a talk show I used to do on a, a, a radio station. And um, a woman whose son was a murderer rang up. And at the end of it, I said to her, do you love him? She went, of course I do, I'm his mother. And actually it was kind of a terribly moving moment. So I find these stories kind of weird because he's clearly awful. Yeah, I guess, I mean, the papers are presenting this, Josh, as him worming his way back. No in, one wormed his way round I mean, the she, Queen. I don't she, believe that. Yeah, I mean, everything the royal family does when it's public is, is carefully scripted. Yeah. And I guess she's thought... It's his dad. Well, I, I'm just thinking about my mum. She won't even lend me her Netflix, her Netflix passwords. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she'd defend me. But yeah, I'm trying it, to get my mum. You want to do something a lot worse. Though. I know, yeah, exactly. But I'm there, I didn't know. What do they call those things that give you free freedom pass? I'm trying to get yeah, my free pass. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't know there was a. There's a, the managing editor, Joe Little, of uh, Majesty Magazine. I don't know if anybody knew of it, reads Majesty Magazine out there. Uh, so that Andrew's ac uh, accompaniment of the Queen may have been a matter of practicality. And thinking about it, it may well be because, you know, um, he was help helping her, like, walk. Obviously, famously, he doesn't sweat. So it could be quite strenuous, and then he's not going to be slipping off. You know, so there could be... She's not like, going to fall out of his hand, is yeah, she? Yeah, it's not, you know, so there could be medical reasons, really, why she needed him in particular. <laughs> This is, this is why we have this programme, because we discover insights that the other papers aren't covering. <laughs> but the other thing, too, which is if, if you think of what happened to him, too, that, you know, when he did the thing and had to go, was going to go to court and she went, right, you're going to have to do it on your own, and to, as a punishment, I am going to take away your titles and you're not going to have to go to another public event. And meet those horrible people. And you think, yippee, yeah. you know, I'll skip around the garden naked and do whatever. Uh, Right, The Telegraph is next, and Josh, some promising developments in Ukraine. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, this is the thing. Whenever Russia says anything, you just have to take it with a massive pinch of salt. Uh, they vowed to radically reduce their military activity in northern Ukraine because the peace talks are supposedly going OK. So this is what they're saying is we're going to reduce our military activity there. But the reality is... Um, Number one, it wasn't going great there anyway, and they're facing a lot of pushback, and the Ukrainians are taking back a lot of the towns around uh, Kyiv. Uh, number two, um, 
that that's not really the part they wanted. They wanted the only reason they were really going there was to sort of surround Kiev, get rid of the government and impose their own government, and then that. But really, what they want is the south and the, and the other side of the country. And finally, they they the just east. Could, yeah, the east. Uh, yeah, yeah I can see yeah, you doing it, and I thought... Never eat right. soggy Weetabix. And <laughs> <laughs> the right-hand side. The right-hand side of the country. And um, finally, um, they could just be lying. And this is just what they're doing, Just and now they're going to do a massive assault tomorrow. So you just don't know with them. You, you think don't. it's like those wrestlers where they lie on the ground for a long time just to get their, their breath back. It's sort of one of those times. Yeah, yeah, they've got their nine seconds. Yeah, right there. you know. I tell you the thing that I found really difficult all the way through this is emotionally you think, come on, NATO, get together, go and bomb them, and that'll do. And then you think, well, hang on a second. No, no. <laughs> Be sent because actually what's interesting, I think, about this is that it will probably end up in some kind of negotiated settlement, mm. which is kind of weird. You know, and you look at the two positions. I always think this is extraordinary about negotiations. At the moment, they're absolutely, we want the Eastern, you know, it's part of Russia. And then you, Zelensky's saying, absolutely, we want to maintain our territorial integrity. And you think, well, because presumably what will happen, being cynical, is that they'll get a bit of the East and then there'll be a bit of a fight over Crimea. And then, you know, the rest of Ukraine will stay as an independent country. And then they'll get some kind of guarantee from external forces about territorial sovereignty. I mean, what will happen? I guess that's the most likely compromise. And I, I guess it sort of works, although the fact is he will have invaded another country and then taken a bit of it, mm. yes. which is wrong. But I mean, and also this thing of Erdogan, you know, the Turkish president, yeah. you know, not the Who's world's most conciliatory figure, is apparently hosting the peace talks. This is like sending Prince Andrew to a girls' school to be head of safeguarding. Well, he, job, you actually. never know. When I got divorced, we had um, one of my ex-wife's friends. How dare We had one of our ex-wife's friends, most notorious philanderers, negotiate the settlement between my, me and my ex-wife. And he was wonderful. So maybe Erdogan is the ideal man to do the peace. Oh, it's the fraudster turned uh, accountant. That kind of thing. That, yeah. Or the, the criminal turned policeman. Anyway, obviously the only reason that Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine was to divert attention away from <laughs> Boris Johnson and Partygate. And now that peace talks are progressing, Partygate is back. This is from the uh, front page of Wednesday's Guardian. Simon, you've got this one? Have you got this one? I have got this one. Good. It, you it had is... a blank look on your face. No, no, no. Say, I was actually, what I was actually thinking was, I was thinking back to all those days ago in the 80s when, uh, you know, the Falklands were, and you thought... At least Thatcher used her own war in order to win an election. He's using somebody else's war. That doesn't seem fair, does it, really? No, but here's the thing. I have been repeatedly assured that no rules were broken. There was no party and no COVID rules were broken. He said it. He said it in Parliament, mm. Johnson. So if he said it in Parliament, he either knowingly misled Parliament or the people who brief him knowingly misled him. Either way, he's either a liar or is incompetent and can't run number 10. I mean, this is just appalling. And, of course, this whole thing of the, the 20 who've been given the fines at the moment, no-one senior, we understand. And it was that great Dennis Skinner line, wasn't it, when the, when the upper classes do something wrong, they sack the servants. Mm. Although the investigation is still ongoing and this was the sort of the low-hanging fruit. But it is quite unknowing that they... I don't like you referring to me <laughs> like that. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> sorry, yeah. but, the, but the thing is, the fact they can't, they can't name people legally is like, so he could later on get a fine. 
And And unless it's leaked, we're not going to actually know about it. It's leaked. But I didn't realise, I mean, we all, I knew, obviously, we've been talking about this party for a long time on the show. But there are are 12 events that they're investigating from 2020, 21. And Johnson was said to have attended six of them. I mean, when you look at it just proportionately, he's, surely there's something coming down. Well, there was that one in the the garden. They're sitting in the garden around a table. She's got the baby there. I mean, I know there's this thing, bring your child to work. But seriously, that was a work meeting? I think not. On we go and (laughs) on to the Daily Mail. And Simon, your yachts are no longer safe. (laughs) They're not. Grr, goes Grant. I love Grant Shapps. He's like, we will take the strongest possible action. (laughs) And what they've done is they've taken this bloke's toy... You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, next time they're going to come for his teddy bears, really. This thing is enormous, though. I have to say, it's 64 yards. I have to put it in yards because I don't understand 190. Well, you're a GB News, so that's good. <laughs> but no, but I mean, I didn't understand the feet. You know, organic form of 64 yards is long. And it's the biggest whatever. But what I love about it was, why was it in London? It was here for a Super Yacht Award ceremony. What, what goes on there? I'm bigger than you, so I get the biggest yacht of the year, and then you get supporting yacht of the year, and then presumably you get, you know, yeah. the distaff yacht. I didn't of the say year. if it won or not. It didn't say. It didn't no, well, I don't think the ceremony's happened. I think oh, it's well, been seized before the awards. Oh, okay. I think it has That's a happen. terrible loss. <laughs> whoever terrible comes, to whoever comes in first this... now won't feel like they deserve it. They won't, will they? They've been cheated out of it. But I do just think this is the most appalling virtue signalling. I mean, Grant yeah. Shapps going... Woo, woo, woo. I know, it was like we're going to fight them on the beaches as yes. we take... It was pathetic, wasn't it? It's, and actually what we've done is taken a boat. Yeah, the strongest possible action against those seeking to benefit from... It's like, come on, mate. But I did like how at the beginning of the story the mail says that it's been seized in East London, and I sort of missed her. I was like, this is the best mugging ever. <laughs> the one I loved was they've if got an infinite it. wine cellar, yeah. and then they've got a freshwater swimming pool. I thought it had infinite swimming pools. That's yeah, that's a, <laughs> is that just a typo? And what is an infinite wine cellar? I well, drink, it's lot, yeah. it's yeah. like Mary Poppins's bag. You know, it doesn't matter how many, how much wine you take out, there's always more. As, as Mr Oligarch's business manager, what concerns mm. me here is the running costs of maintaining a boat are tremendous. Mm. And if his yacht has been seized... Who is responsible for the running costs and the mooring costs? And therefore, who will suffer for them not being paid? You and me. Can I just Uh, say, too, if I I pay taxes, I would be suffering. The other thing, too, it's worth saying... That's only because I don't earn any money, I should point that out. But also, they can't find out. The other thing is, they can't find out who owns this thing. And I love it Mm. because it's it's registered in... I can't see this now. Malta, I think. It's registered in Malta, but it it was built in the Netherlands and then it flies the flag of, you know, Moldova or somewhere. But they can't find out who owns it. Yeah. We, we are not going to find out today. The Mirror is next in the world's least popular, but perhaps least inclined to panda. CEO is standing firm, John. Yes, Peter uh, Hebblethwaite. Hebblethwaite. Peter Hebblethwaite. Um, he's refusing to hire back the 800 people who were fired. Uh, he's been sort of taken up in front of MPs. And he says that if he did, basically the company would collapse. But it's owned, of course, by a larger consortium, uh, which I believe is a Dubai company, that are spending their money frivolously on uh, golf competitions and whatever. They have money. That, you know, and it did. they're saying it made a hundred million loss. Yeah, during COVID and obviously now with Brexit, things are not looking as great for it. But it was making a profit, actually, before when they first took it over. And uh, it's, it's just like there's so many like half lies in this from Mr. Peter um, Hebblethwaite. 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 And uh, he says that he's, he knows that the company and his personal uh, image may suffer. But Mr. Josh, you know, just because it's owned by a bigger company, the company's not responsible for bailing out. You know, the, you know it's, a, it's an entity Look, within itself. 
Yeah, but, but they did. Money. They can get... His CEO, his job is to turn it round, and if he feels that the only way he can do it is by letting these staff go. Yeah, I but mean, I don't they, agree they, with the they way they had money coming. during furlough. They took. They were happy to take the money during at that point, uh, and. Um, also, that, like that, now they're saying it's going to be like slightly different. But well, I'm just saying they took money. They took money from the government at that point, and now they like now furloughs over, and now they're going. All right, we're going to fire these people. They're saying the average wage of the new people are being hired is five pounds fifty, which means I actually read it was about three pounds. But of course, some of the people are going to be getting a, a fair bit more. So three pounds just to hire, but it's just it's horrible. But also, too, this yeah. guy said that you know the firm would not U-turn, and then Grant Shapps has suddenly turned out to be the great defender. Yeah. I mean, that's a Tory U-turn if ever I were. They love sacking people. Also, we have some yachts now, so maybe we could put those. Uh, well, yeah, I was thinking, thinking into could play. The, some of the eight hundred not work on that uh, that yeah. um, 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 oligarch's yacht? There we go. Connecting the dots here on GB News. On Collect, I think you'll find it's connecting the yachts. Oh. Oh, she puns. And uh, this next story, I'm just going to read the headline and the opening sentence of this piece. Genitalia questions debase trans debate, says Angela Rayner. It is unacceptable to ask a woman if she has a penis. Now, presumably, uh, Simon, similar debates were being held shortly before the fall of Rome. Um, <laughs> what, what do you make of all of this? What I find really disappointing about this is that, that there, this is in need of a proper discussion. <laughs> Back to why I wrote the book. It's in need of a proper discussion. And the way I always approach it is this. There is a legal situation. There is a biological situation. And there is a social situation. Biology is immutable. I mean, there are two sexes, male and female. Some people experience extreme pain in relation to being one of them and make a choice. And we have a piece of legislation passed in 2004, which is called the Gender Recognition Act. And what it does is it creates a legal fiction which enables somebody to be treated legally as if they were the opposite sex. So on one level, yes, in law, it is possible for a woman to have a penis. It's not the right question, but I don't trust Angela Rayner's reason for, for, for raising this, because socially... If you meet people who have transitioned or are uh, saying that they wish to live as the opposite sex, then as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm reasonably happy to just dignify that. Why wouldn't I? I mean, you know, I've got friends and, you know, you tell a story about them or you talk to them or you refer to them. I would refer to them as she. So I want to make the distinction between the biology, between law and policy and between the social acceptance. The problem with allowing the idea of self-identification, because that's the problem. The problem is extending the scope of this legal fiction. And what happens then is that people start to be able to go into spaces which are, for very specific reasons, designated for single-sex occupancy. The classic ones are the NHS ward or the women's refuge. And Women's Raid put out a brilliant thing the other day where they said, look, we're a federation, we've got a bunch of organisations, they all determine how they're going to deliver their services, but we are established to in the interests of the victim. And if the victim needs a single-sex space, then that's what those people should provide. And if the victim is happy and safe in a space which has got trans women in it as well as women in it, well, then that's also possible. In other words, there is room for a way through this. But what is happening at the moment is it's being weaponised. And Labour is making a really foolish mistake because they should be able to recognise the difference between biology and law and social circumstances, and they can't just say what I've said, which I think is a reasonable way forward for a solution and a discussion. 
Very well put, sir. Josh, what do you make of all that? Well, I could not disagree with Simon more. No, I'm joking. I agree with every word he said. Great. Well done, mate. Okay. <laughs> Cover uh, that one. Well, I will just say... But it is so vexing. Yeah, oh, no, it's so... But, but specifically, the story about Angela Rayner is when she says... She wants to say... She says wants this gender identity discussion to be taken off social media. Social media basically saved the day. Yes, there's been a huge amount of death threats and rape threats towards those people who have raised these questions about fairness and women's spaces. But that has got other people involved. And this stuff that was creeping in that people weren't aware about, coming through, unfortunately, by Stonewall over the last five to 10 years, ha has now been somewhat halted. At least people are aware of it and people are arguing back. And now we are talking about and it. And it is worth remembering that the way in which, you know, as you kindly pointed out, was one of the, you know, originators of Stonewall. The, the two key things about how Stonewall made progress was that when we've always made progress, since back to the Wolfenden Report in 57, right the way through to gay marriage, and whatever, actually, we, the whole point about making progress on homosexuality is it's never made by talking about homosexuality because that's not the point. The point is equality. It's a group of people who are being discriminated against simply on the basis of who they are. So you can make an alliance with other people who understand that, who don't necessarily approve of homosexuality because they understand the principle of equality under the law. So talk to people who don't agree with you and find the common way through. Don't, like Angela Rayne is doing, side with people well, so in that, a really ludicrous way. Well, just, I mean, the, on a very sort of anecdotal level, you know, on, on, uh, on Friday, I, this, this thing came out that um, about um, someone crying because they'd been talking about the stuff and they were talking about the swimmer in America. And I just said, everyone was very supportive of the swimmer. I said, well, you know, this, she does have biological advantages. She went from LPT. I got like swamped on, like six people just abusing me, like 24 hours people making memes about me. I mean, that's the toxicity. Just for me going, there's biological differences that we need to look at, the abuse. Style. I was asked okay. to do a six form talk. Just one last thing is that there's a six form talk the other day and a really intelligent, lovely girl was put her forward, her kind of anxieties and whatever about it. And she said, you know, I don't want to exclude trans people. And she was coming from a kind of I want to be kind position. I was going, that's absolutely fine. It's also worth thinking, though, about the women who are excluded. So there's trans people who may be excluded, but there are women excluded. That's the point about the balance. Great stuff. Well, that is it for part one. Part two is coming up in just a moment. Adverts first. Consume. Buy to fill the void in your souls. <laughs> and uh, to tempt you back, we have more on the Will Smith debacle, robot dogs, and why Britain can't have a Disney world. That's all in part two. Welcome back to Headliners. I'm your host, Dominic Frisbee, and with me tonight, I'm delighted to welcome making his Headliners debut, Simon Fanshaw, and we have a man uh, who I'm rather less excited about, Josh Howie. Um, so Can I just we say, I'm very excited, because I've not met him before, so... He's yeah. good, no. he's, he's quality. I have met you before. He's in his category. <laughs> yes. Yeah. At the level he's offered. <laughs> right, the, uh, the Times is next, and uh, Simon Will Smith has issued an unreserved apology for the slap, and uh, we learn... Yeah. For the Oscar's slap, it says. Will Smith says sorry to Chris Rock and the world. Mm. Um, I just thought this was a really silly, over-emotional reaction. I was just annoyed by it. I just thought, you don't get up on stage and slap someone because they told a joke. And what really annoyed me, actually, was the sort of idea that somehow that was legitimate, that you mm. can respond to a joke with a punch. 
I mean, I just, I'm sorry, I'm fed up with the idea that, you know, language is not violence. So Chris Ross did language and then Will Smith did violence. And it wasn't, you know, I thought Chris Ross was rather rock. Ro Chris Rock was very dignified. I mean, he mm. just like kind of took it. He tried to way. smile and... Yeah, yeah and sort of pretend nothing had happened. <laughs> now with the best and documentary. I think, to, I think to start with, everybody thought it was a bit of a setup, and yeah. then, and then yeah. there was all the swearing and whatever. The thing that I don't understand is the standing ovation that Will Smith got when he got the Oscar, mm. though, because that seemed to me to be, oh, you you know, this is the weaponization of offence, which really annoys me, is the idea that, that, you know, you say something and people are offended by it, and that justifies then the reaction, which then gets sanctified. Yeah. Mm. And well, that seemed to be very odd, and I... Uh, what was his name? Um, uh, who's the, 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 the Jimmy Carr? Uh, you know, of whose jokes I am very fond and not fond. <laughs> and that awful joke he did about the gypsies. Um, but he makes the perfectly reasonable point that a joke about rape is not rape. You know, and I don't think a joke about alopecia is actually causing somebody to have alopecia. I don't it think, wasn't a very good joke. I, I thought, personally yeah. think it was misjudged, but from what I gather, Chris Rock had no idea she had alopecia. It was a simple... It's like me going, you could play G.I. Jane, because you've got a... Oh, thanks for... Uh, do you, what are you asking for it now? Well, uh, this, is, this is the get, thing. Get, get bitch, viewing figures out. There was, actually a very, you, there was a very funny tweet. Someone <laughs> said that alopecia for 24 hours is now the greatest victimhood more than trans, <laughs> or something like that, yeah. in America. But this is the thing is, I saw a photo, so someone sent me a photo of her alopecia. It's literally like a tiny line. And I'm not saying that that... Oh, really? Like, okay. I am traumatised from going bald, absolutely. So I get it. But, it, it, you know, she shaved her head. She still got pretty much 99% of her hair. And, yeah, it's like he, he didn't know. It was a joke. Well, let's move on to some of the insane uh, commentary that we've had on oh, this subject. And, wow. Uh, this is, uh, we learn from The Guardian, <laughs> and in all the arguments that have gone on, the Whoa. backlash against Will Smith. And by the way, I'm of the view that he should be banned from the Oscars for at least five or ten years, because you just can't walk on stage and slap somebody. Yeah. You know, you, anyway, that's also now it's one a, a breach of etiquette. He should have his royal titles taken away and made to be made no more visits. Absolutely, yeah. and he can only escort 95-year-old ladies onto the podium <laughs> to get their awards. That would make him behave. But anyway, apparently the backlash against mm. Will Smith, according to The Guardian, is rooted in anti-blackness. Yeah, I mean... Well done, Guardian. <laughs> You've done it. Good for you. You've come up with the best take of it all. Basically, by criticising Will Smith and saying that, the, that his violence was wrong, that's... I'm racist now. Um, so, great. What, how wonderful. And it's, it's like... It's, this, this is the problem with, like, critical race theory, is it's actually, like, it's flipped it all. Whereas if you just can't criticise a human being for their behaviour negative behaviour mm. without being accused of rape. Like, we should hold people of colour, of anybody, to a different standard. Mm. That's the racism. It's, mm. it's madness. Well, I think there's both. I mean, the thing that fi I find annoying about this piece is that I understand, you know, you hear story after story after story of the way in which black people and women are treated to the everyday gaze of men, of white people, of that persistent drip, drip, drip. And I get that. That is something that you understand. My husband's black and so he's Nigerian, but I watch and, you know, I'm not going, oh, I know how black people feel. I mean, I watch, you know, the impact of racism when he mm. sees it. And he's not very quick, by the way, to, to say that it's happening. But when it does, it does. My point being is that there is that. It's a bit racist that, what you said. That is <laughs> a, that is a that is a that is a that is a voice that is a set of experiences that are worth listening to. This trivialises that.
This is a wealthy man at a worldwide, you know, global event yeah. hitting another person because they made a joke about his wife that he didn't like. Life cannot I'm sorry. have been kinder to anyone but Will Smith. It's blessed him with good looks. It's blessed him with talent, the yes. physique. It's blessed him with good luck, opportunities at the right mm. time. I mean, but, he's one of the most but, privileged people in the world. Yes, but this sort of comment by this, this person in The Guardian, I think really demeans and makes it more difficult, it seems to me, for, the, for people who do have something to talk about their everyday experience, which actually is oppressive in terms of race, it trivialises it and actually it makes them more difficult because people laugh at it now because that makes it so ludicrous. Yeah. Staying with The Guardian and uh, Josh, missing phone records in the White House. This is quite interesting. I know that quite a few fans of the, the show and GB News, a big Trump Trump fans, hey guys, hey Trump fans out there. <laughs> um, I am not. Um, and Can I just say, me neither. Me neither, okay. Well, uh, the interest Get ready for some nice tweets after the show. <laughs> you find him amusing and civilised, don't you? I just like uh, him, he makes so, me laugh. I so, like, I, well, there is that. There is a lot of comedians. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so there are some, uh, not just some phone logs, there's seven hours and 37 minutes of phone logs missing during that day on... Uh, the January 6th, where the violence unfolded in Washington. Um, now, what I find interesting is that conspiracy theorists, and some of those conspiracies turned out to be right, like, as we say, but, you know, in terms of um, Hunter Biden's laptop, it turns out there's things there, possibly what's happening in, uh, in Wuhan, did that come from a lab? There are some things that have changed. But whether this thing that seems very much a conspiracy, will Trump people latch onto that because it makes their person not look good? Uh, there's there's got to be a reason why this 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 uh, phone stuff is missing. What I do like is he said a quote that he said, I have n someone said, oh, you were using a burner phone. And he said, I have no idea what a burner phone is. To the best of my knowledge, I've never heard of the term and I have never watched The Wire. <laughs> <laughs> I told you it was funny. I said it. The thing, right. no, the, he didn't you, say The Wire bit. I said oh, The Wire. Okay, he said okay. The Wire. Well, then the, I've the got thing, to give you credit for being funny. But the thing it reminded me too of was that was the... Um, of course, the Watergate tapes had an yeah. eight and a half minute a gap in that, which was, of course, Dixon. So obviously there's the, there's the parallel. But I looked it up because I, I remembered the gap and I thought, I wonder what that was. And there's this fantastic story where they obviously made this poor secretary try to explain that what she'd done is she had reached to the phone while she was yeah. transcribing the text accidentally pressed the record button, but kept her foot on the thing that kept the, uh, the tape running. Wow. And they made her reenact it for the Warren Commission or whatever. And honestly, she looks like olive oil out of Popeye. It's, it's, <laughs> like, it sounds like Twister. <laughs> it is exactly like Twister. You just think, poor woman. Yeah. OK, iNews is next. Gay author banned, governor sacked, strike action. What's all this about, Simon? Teachers at John Fisher School being balloted for strike action after gay author banned and governor sacked. This is a guy called Simon James Green, who, as far as I can make out, writes kind of cute little children's books, you know, that have two boys who go on adventures and sort of feel kind of jolly about Start each other. kissing each other. I don't know whether even if they kiss each other. One's actually. called Gay Club. I think, is it? Yeah. Well, whatever. But that's fine. Whether I'm not, there's no criticism. It's one of my favourite books, Gay Club. Lovely I'm book. Just saying. But the point is, yeah, <laughs> you know, get a tank off my, <laughs> off my lawn, love. All right? That, that's a, there's a warning here. There's a line down here, all right? <laughs> but, I mean, this is proper cancel culture, this is, because the guy, it's for the fact that the stories were going. And what they said was, I love this, they said, um, 
Uh, and this, by the way, this is about the Catholic Church. It's a, mm. it's a Catholic school, and the archdiocese said the visit was potentially offensive to parents, past peoples, and wider members of the Catholic community, and had brought the school, the church, and all its historic legacy into disrepute. I would have thought it had gone some way towards rescuing it. <laughs> exactly. Because this guy only writes books for young boys. <laughs> I think we know what the rest God, is coming God, there. Yeah. And the other thing I love about this is called the Archdiocese. Oh, he's like so odd. But they don't realise how count they are, <laughs> do they, really? The Pope and the stuff, you know? They don't. All that purple. <laughs> right, part two is over. Um, come back to part three for the, when you go, we get all the weird stories. We've got a heartwarming story on dolphins and porpoises becoming best friends, a story on space hotels and the true throne of Henry III. We'll see you in a moment. Hello and welcome back to Headliners. I'm Dominic Frisbee and with me tonight reviewing tomorrow's papers are Simon Fanshawe, OBE, and <laughs> Josh Howie, Esquire. Um, and so to our first story, which is from the Mirror, and rare jumping spiders, Josh, have scuppered the British Disneyland in Britain. I know. That everyone, every time they build a, a park in the UK, like they're always like, oh, it's going to be the British Disneyland. It ain't gonna be the British Disneyland. That I could, I can guarantee that. But yeah, so they found some, uh, yeah, these jumping spiders. It's not just dummy spiders. There's a yellow striped bear uh, spiders, orange striped water beetles. Basically, I don't really want to hang out there anyway. You don't like the creepy crawlies. I do not like the creepy crawlies. This is uh, the Swanscombe Peninsula, and it's, uh, it's now become Swanscombe. A... Swans, sorry. Sorry, Squanscombe people. <laughs> um, and it's a site of special scientific interest, otherwise known as a SSSI. And um, yeah, so they, they basically withdrawn their plans and they're going to resubmit them. And they're like, we've got 150 million pounds to spend and we're going to spend it building this park. Well, we'll I mean, I dread do. to think how much they've already lost mm. because of all of this. Any thoughts on, on the Swanscombe British Disneyland and protection, protecting the environment and well, all that? Personally, I would have thought, you know, jumping spider would have been a bit of an addition to a British theme park. Yeah, they'd probably like jump like that far. Well, I think you're being pessimistic. Though. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah no, I think I'd be I'd go for the jumping spider and the yellow bear striped spider right. and the orange striped water beetle. That would be my fun. The uh, mirror is next, and the first ever hotel in space is set to open in five years. Travelodge. Do you know who's doing this? Yes, the hotel in space? I'm, I'm, yeah, the Guardian of the third, yeah. No, I'm not doing it. You're doing it. OK, fine. I'll do it then. Uh, they're going to open a, a hotel in space. <laughs> You see, where's this Josh mirror? Oh my God, what is going on? I mean, so, you know, yeah. get the producer's sack. Um, so yeah, they. Uh, this is going to be quite an interesting thing. I mean, it's going to cost obviously a lot of money. Very few people are actually going to get a chance to do it. But um, I mean, would you? But the, 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 what's funny is this is again one of my, my favourite sort of genres of article where they've just cut and pasted the. Uh, the press release into the article. <laughs> so they just, there are whole ways of it just written. They keep on going about how it's amazing because you could just do everything that you can't do on Earth. And they just repeat that about five times. And then eventually they say, yeah, you can run and jump just like you can't on Earth. That sounds like a very expensive But they've holiday. named it after Werner von Braun, a famous Nazi. Oh, wow. You know, I mean, you that was the whole point which yeah. Tom Lehrer wrote a famous song about, and he was part of the nuclear project. Oh, yeah, thing. he did the V-Rockets. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, that's the Hitler guy. Hotel or Goering Guesthouse or something. Yeah. Wow. I guess they're, they're 
celebrating his contribution to space <laughs> rather than his contribution to, to Nazism. <laughs> <laughs> and so to our next story, and this is from The Guardian's Nebraska correspondent. Yeah. The schools with children who self-identify <coughs> as cats. Yeah, well, this is, uh, yeah, but now well, this is what's interesting about the story, you see. So Republican retracts false claims schools mm -hmm. placing litter boxes for furry students. So here's the reason I think this is kind of a classic story, is that... So what happens is this guy decides that there are students self-identifying as cats at the schools. have got so far they're putting litter boxes for the kids who now run around, apparently. He actually says, also, he says, barking and meowing. So he's kind of mm. got a peculiar idea of cats to start with because they don't bark by and large. Set that aside. But here's the point about it. So you've got a nutty right-wing Republican, a conservative Republican, bet it's pardon, uh, who repeated the false claim. Mm. But here's the thing. It's absurd enough, and yet people actually could believe it because there are such mad things going on at the moment. Mm. So you've got the mirror image, haven't you? I mean, the idea that people can self-identify as a cat is somehow taken seriously in the world where apparently you click your heels and, like Dorothy, you know, you're in Kansas. You can be who you want to be, which is bonkers. You know, you can't identify as a cat. I mean, that's just you could pretend to be a cat. But you don't, you know, but Tell it's, it but it's uh, believable. George, George Galloway might disagree but with you. But it's believable enough in these days of nonsense for this guy to believe it. But let, to be fair to him, Bruce Bostelman, mm. he did apologise and withdraw it, but not between before it had been seen on Twitter by 300,000 people. Ah, the news is spread Bonkers. by that point. I will not have Josh Howie, uh, jo I will not have George Galloway mocked on my show. What? What? <laughs> oh my. George Galloway. We do oh not my like George so Galloway. Not, there's there's not, nothing quiet, about George quiet, Galloway quiet, that's admirable. Wow. So we go on to the times where former junior men's cycling record holder, now transitioned Emily Bridges, will take on Olympic Winner Laura Kenny, uh, Josh, this is yours, and you're going to have a field day with it, I think. What do you like about George Galloway? <laughs> we'll talk about it after. Uh, I can't, oh my god! I, okay, I'm trying not to let my head explode here. Um, let's get on with this stuff. Yes, uh, this is now the sports story where uh, someone who is trans is now uh, basically invading women's sports. This time, it's um, it's cycling, uh, and this person, um, Laura uh, Kenny. Uh, oh no, no, Emily Bridges. Um, is now going to face an Olympic winner. Emily has been on hormones for a year, uh, which have now reduced her testosterone, I believe, to below the level. That makes absolutely no difference to the fact that Emily has been through male puberty and thus has huge strength advantages and endurance advantages. Uh, her record uh, when she was competing as a man already was two minutes ahead of the world record. So for women, it's insane and the fact even even more than that the junior record that yeah, he had oh. as a man was two minutes ahead of the uh, the most senior, senior record for women well it's uh it's great and they, and there's and they and the thing is that the cycling uh british cycling federation or whatever they're called this group of british just british cycling have said that um there's, they're doing a wide-ranging consultation. They've, they've conceded that further scientific research is required. So it's like, you know, and loads of other reports have come out. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. That's just the thing lather from people who haven't got the cojones yeah, absolutely. to take a side. Well, and what's his name, Ross Tucker, who, who, who oversaw the huge inquiry into rugby and mm. decided that actually women would potentially be killed uh, in us. I mean, as he said, it's, he said, I don't, 
I don't run a, a, a contact sport. You run. He said, I run a collision sport, which was a great phrase. But I think the point about this is that, you know, it is framed at the moment in, you know, trans people must be allowed to compete in sport. We must not exclude mm. trans people from sport. And I absolutely think that's fine. Trans people must be able to compete in sport if that's what they want to do. Mm. The key thing is how do we find a, a, a categorisation which means that actually people are competing equally? So if, for instance, you were in a question sport, it wouldn't be an issue. Men and women compete together in the question support because actually the pubertal advantage, the muscular development doesn't give you, uh, isn't there. So it's yet again, this failure to find a way through this when people would actually rather shout at each other and kind of virtue signal on either side and make a division than they would find some kind of dialogue. And you must all buy <laughs> it's called The Power of Difference. It's available at £14 and a penny, apparently, from all good bookshops. Yeah, George Galloway's a big fan of it. There you go. The Mirror, I'm not having those callbacks. Right, you're blocked, uh, Josh Howie. The Mirror is next and DNA tests on the NHS. It's what Ernest Bevin would have wanted. Well, to be fair, it's, I, I, that's what I thought to start with. I think, oh, really? No, Actually, no, it's great. It's interesting. Of what it is, what it is, is it's apparently there are a whole bunch of medicines, painkillers, beta blockers, antidepressants, a whole bunch of other medicines, to which a significant number of people can have an adverse reaction. Mm. And so what they think they can do is by mapping DNA for people, they can find out whether they're likely to have these, these uh, you know, kind of contrary adverse reactions. The trouble with DNA, though, is I always think, well... Because I, I come from a very, you know, a posh family. We used to own Dagenham. Do you know what I mean? I mean, people would say I'm middle class. I'm upper middle class, Josh. Yeah. But, you know, I know so perfectly well. I know perfectly well that if I took, I concede. you know. I concede that. I know perfectly well if I took a DNA test, I would end up being the great, 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 great of a peasant commune in Andalusia. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It would completely devalue my posh currency. So I'm rather nervous about this. And then all the people in Islington and, uh, you know, the smart areas of York and Leeds will be running to the doctors to see if they're half Cherokee, etc. So I do think it can open to exploitation by people like myself. Well, it's the future of tech. Uh, it's the way that tech oh, is going to play a role in healthcare because mm. the, it's all to do with, like, Monitoring, you know, everyone's using fitness watches yeah. and whatever, and putting their diet in, and and with all these inputs and having, there's all sorts of apps you can do blood tests at home and have the um, app read your blood tests and refer it to the clinic, and it reduces the burden on the hospital. Fantastic. And if you can, you know, if you find your you have a prob a likelihood of getting Parkinson's, for example, in your DNA because not everyone is prone to it, but maybe you're prone. Then 20 years before the time you would get Parkinson's, you can start changing your lifestyle and your habits to reduce the chance of getting it. It's a huge, huge. Yeah. And as somebody who's in. I don't know what you call it, health tech, I suppose. Yeah, somebody who's voted Labour many, many, many times in my life, I wish that Angela Rayner would spend her time thinking about that and the future of health care, particularly in relation to four, four families and preventative health care, than worrying about whether we should ask women if they've got penises. Um, the Guardian now and the BBC chair has suggested that maybe people don't want impartial news, Josh. Where does GB News go? <laughs> yeah, exactly. This article you're, is you're about You're treading us. a tightrope now, aren't <laughs> yeah. you? There's no impartiality here. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing about the BBC is it's meant to be impartial, but some of the knots that they tie themselves into to supposedly be impartial and present both side, both points of view uh, have been kind of insane over the last... You know, that, oh, so what we have to have someone on that proves arguing that the world isn't flat because we've got someone saying the world is flat or whatever. Uh, and um, the fact is that they, they do have bias, actually, in their reporting. 
They are being investigated right now, uh, BBC News, by Ofcom, for the way that they covered a story in, um, in December where they accused a bunch of young Jewish uh, kids mm. of uh, being uh, Islamophobic, and that's why they got attacked. That isn't anything of the course, and they're being investigated. That is coming through those producers' bias. Uh, so there's no way that any news system is going to be able to avoid that totally, but um, it is quite that, comforting. I think that social media is so effective at mm. spreading information, often before it ma even makes it onto well, spreading the Spreading their misinformation. Well, it's well, sp spreading, spreading disinformation. But, you see, it's, but there's also a lot of accurate yep. Yep. stuff. Yep. Mm. I mean, you mentioned earlier in the show how social media had, had, it had brought the whole it. trans thing to account. And, you know, the war in Ukraine would be very different okay. without all the videos that, and everything, you know. So it is a, it's, a, it's a spread of misinformation, but it's also mm. a, sp a spread of mm. truth. But, but I think that is sort of exposing the shortcomings of TV. Well, I know that but, what's happening... Sorry, no, sorry, sorry no. but I'm just going to say that one thing I will say is that this show and this channel, the huge amount of uh, criticism it receives and certainly from papers like The Guardian, uh, but the fact is that, that Sky, BBC are adopting some of the formats that have been on this channel because people want it. People want conversation. They want debate. And those channels weren't providing them. I think there's got to be a mixed environment. That's the thing uh, mm. in the end. And there's a place for lots of different kinds of news. But I do think that underneath this, and it is something that the BBC, I still think for all its errors that it makes, because it's a huge organisation, mm. it does make errors. But actually the notion of trust and, and, and uh, trustworthy source you know, I remember years ago when people were saying, oh, citizen journalism will take over and da-da-da. And for all its qualities, and, you know, you can see it in citizen reporting in the Ukraine as we speak, but for all its qualities, I still want to have two sources. I still want to know that somebody's checked whether something so, is true. Yeah, but, back to the the the... but back to the furries in Nebraska, you know. Yeah, yeah. If that was a source that was checked with the people... And actually, you've got a quote, and you You're try right. to find... Let's get rid of all the others and just keep BBC and GB News, and then we're all good. <laughs> the, difference, the difference with GB News is GB News is accountable to its owners, yeah, whereas and... BBC is accountable to the, to the licence pair. Mm. And specifically about news, time and time again... Often it's not deliberate; it's just lazy reporting or some junior. Oh no, I don't think that's. I don't think. I don't think that's the accountability of the BBC. I think in the end, the BBC is accountable to itself and its charter. But we're talking specifically about news. No, but I still think there's an ethics in there. That there's a set of ethics in there, a set of journalistic ethics. Of course, they get broken. We're human beings, but the vast percentage of it is in some way. And I'm not saying it isn't true here either. It's a different. This is point of view news, whereas that's got a different. It's a national. It's the national broadcaster. Mm. It's a and, different and, uh, role in life. They did point out. Ross, uh, Ross Atkins, and I've got to say, I do love his viral yeah. videos where he just explains everything in a couple of minutes. Those are amazing. You know, when you watch Newsnight or something, if you want to see an ex uh, something explored, you know, you, you, you get it explored. Oh, God, every time Newsnight covers a story that I know something about, I tear my hair out because it's awful. But anyway, yeah. the Metro is Can next. I just say, you've got enough hair between uh, on your head that <laughs> well, we haven't yes, got, I haven't that you clearly haven't torn it out very well, often. because I haven't yeah. been watching Newsnight, but there yeah. we go, the Metro Come on, is Chris next. Rock over there. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Metro is next, uh, as I've said about four times. Uh, and in Scotland, a dolphin has been talking to porpoises, Simon. <laughs> On the subject, there's a wild news. dolphin in Scotland <laughs> that has been talking to the harbour porpoises in uh, in the Clyde. And what I love about this idea is that that I don't. I mean, I was brought up in Scotland, so in, on the other side of Scotland, on the east coast in Edinburgh. But one of the things that's absolutely noticeable about Scotland is that Scottish people are incredibly helpful, even if they don't have the wherewithal to be helpful. So if you ask a Scots person where is X, Y, or Z, they will tell you. 
even when they don't know. So I have a theory that actually what's going on here is that this wild dolphin is trying to find out from the porpoises how to get back to dolphin land, and they keep on giving him the wrong instructions, is my theory. Apparently, uh, you know, it thinks it's a porpoise. I don't believe that. It thinks it's English, and it's trying to get out of the Clyde. BBC News would have covered that very differently. Yeah. <laughs> With facts right. about... Uh, that George Galloway would have covered oh. it. I think we've got time for one last story. Very quickly, Josh, uh, theatre-goers complaining about Shakespeare in a northern accent. Yeah, so this is... Have they heard Ian McKellen? But this is a... Well, you know when Ian McKellen was born? He's a Lancastrian. Yeah, that's what well, I this, mean. Is, this, <laughs> is what, this is what's crazy. So, yeah, a Yorkshire theatre-goer, he demanded his money back from a Shakespeare play because he said the actors uh, had northern accents. Now, this uh, the, the person who demanded it back was from Yorkshire. The play was in Yorkshire. The company's from York. I, I mean, what did he... I don't understand what oh, he it's wanted. this peculiar idea, though, isn't it, that Shakespeare is high culture and therefore has to... Like, yeah, he doesn't like, want... How dare I hear my own voice reflected yes, back but, at no, me. you have to be posh to do Shakespeare, you know, whoever you are. I mean, it's a ludicrous... You also have to dress in Renaissance costume. You know, you have to do... I mean, there's a thing that people have, don't they? It's just... OK, that is all we have time for. Thank you very much to my guests, Simon Fanshaw and Josh Howey. Thank you to you at home or wherever you are watching. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.